strap-in for Season 2 of African Roots, brought to you by DW. We discover how individuals from across Africa shape the continent. I'm Kai Nebe. And I'm Leila Johnson-Salami. Woo! It's Season 2, Leila. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, you know, we might as well start African Roots off with a bang. And I've got a great one in that regard. Okay, let's give you a slight drum roll then. <laughs> okay, who? <laughs> it's Amina, the queen of Zazo, an almost mythical Hausa warrior whose legions conquered vast territories and greatly expanded her kingdom. Well, welcome to Nigeria, Kai. <laughs> yeah, I must say, Leila, Amina is actually known under a few names. Uh, Amina of Zaza, Amina of Zaria, or my personal favorite, the Warrior Queen. And to find out more about her, we must head to northern Nigeria, where Amina led troops and cavalries in the 16th century, at least according to legend. <laughs> Now, there are some disagreements about the historical accuracy of Queen Amina's achievements or the achievements attributed to her. This is because the stories about her are, you know, from oral legends collected by anthropologists. Okay, fair enough. I mean, she is very present, I would say, in our national history, that's for sure. Um, we may not learn about her in school, but the myths and the folk tales of the warrior queen are plenty. <laughs> um, there's also the famous Queen Amina statue at the entrance of the National Arts Theatre in Lagos. Wow. And you know, Leila, I was actually flicking through Netflix like, you know, <laughs> those interminable searches when you're actually looking for something to watch. And I actually <laughs> found there's a Nigerian film made about Amina of Zaza on Netflix. So it's it's probably worth checking it out. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's, let's try to stick to the facts that we actually know about her, which I must warn you are not as concrete as we might like. Hmm. Yeah. So Amina is believed to have been born in 1520 into the royal family of Zazo. Uh, that's in northern Nigeria on the border of the Sahel region, and it was a predominantly Muslim area. Now, it's important to stress that the region was not exactly peaceful. <laughs> There's raiding, changing dynasties. And against this background, Amina became princess and heir to the throne of Zazo in 1536 when her father, Bako Turunku, is installed as king. That sounds like a princess to me. Amina also had a sister, Zaria, after whom the modern Nigerian state of Zaria is named. But you get the impression that from an early age, Amina showed signs that she would be anything other than, you know, an ordinary princess. See, legend has it that as that she was largely raised by her grandmother, Marka, who, being a noblewoman herself, instructed Amina carefully on the politics and matters of state. Hmm, cool granny. Yeah, but... Granny Mark also noticed that Amina had a certain taste for war and 
weapons. One story tells how Amina was playing with a dagger while she was a toddler. Pretty much every parent's fears, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, you could say that. Now, just imagine they actually had electricity back in those days. <laughs> imagine what she would have been doing then. <laughs> but the story goes that Granny Marker was not even alarmed and did not fear that Amina would hurt herself because of the way she held the dagger, as if it were the most natural thing in the world. Natural talent, essentially. Amina's conduct and interests are enough for her father, the king of Zazo, to start preparing her for war. This is according to Isha Galadima Abdul Karim Tukur Tukur, a spokesman at the palace of the emir of Zazo. Amina, we have to understand historically, was the eldest daughter. And according to tradition, the eldest son was normally crowned as Madaki of Zazo. So then it was only Amina and then her immediate sister Zaria. It was after some years that Karama was given birth to who happens to be the third son of King Bakoturunku. When we say Madaki here in Zazo, up till today, it means commander-in-chief of the entire armed forces. Amina now combined the two. She is the, at the same time a princess, and at the same time now assumed the position of Madaki. And this is what gave her the courage to be going on raids, on campaigns across the entire northern state. So this is the beginning of the warrior queen. Well, what remains of the legend of Amina of Zazo? She came to power in about 1588 and reigned as queen for 34 years and expanded the Zazo kingdom through raiding and keeping enemies at bay across what is now northern Nigeria. While her father's reign was known for relative peace, Queen Amina was known for conquest. Hmm. I do sense a but coming here, Kai. Yeah, Leila. So part of her legend is her cruelty. One story goes that Amina took a man for herself after each raid and they were all beheaded the morning after. Um, But there isn't actually that much proof of this. Neither is there proof of an actual marriage. Historians rather describe a relationship of mutual benefits between Amina and her subjects, of course, once they were captured. With the acquisition of more land came labor and, of course, more food. Still, I would say to be on the safe side, it seems, let's say, wise not to cross Amina. Certainly. And when uh, Amina conquered new lands and people in return for their loyalty, Amina didn't make her subjects entirely slaves. Hmm. Not entirely sure that's exactly a compromise. (laughs) Yeah, remember we're talking about a time and a society where slavery was practiced. So what Amina was doing was not out of the ordinary. And she offered her subjects protection by building walls and digging trenches around settlements. Now, this is actually significant because these earthen walls are one of the things that historians point to as proof that Amina existed. They are sometimes even known as Amina's walls. Interesting. And these walls, were they for protection or to keep people in? Well, they were for defense. Actually, Amina of Zazo is also known for opening up trade routes, not just within Nigeria, but across the Sahara Desert. With so much of northern Nigeria under her control, subjects could now travel further and had more opportunities to trade and use commodities that they may otherwise never have encountered. That's at least according to Ishaq Galadima. Almost all the land conquered by Amina, beside the Wallings, she used to dig wells just for the people to get water. You see, this is another humanitarian service. It is not only the war. 
but she is there to add value to life of people that are living in remote areas in, in, in forests and hamlets far away from the cities and civilization. Because most of this land, or most of these towns, small towns, villages, and hamlets, and what have you, then we are always prone to attacks and what have you from both wild animals and the human as well. So for that, I mean, I try to see that she fortified the towns and what have you, and to give them shelter. And at times, even leaving some like, or making them like, like an outpost where some military will be kept there. I understand the times, but you know, the humanitarian part, I would say, is up for debate. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. And I guess you couldn't really describe as Amina as really humanitarian by today's standards. But then I guess a lot of things historical figures did in those days would be weird by today's standards. Yep, you can say that again. Yeah, seriously, though. The legend of Amina has also been questioned. Some believe she has been used as a vehicle for myth-making around the Zazo Emirate. Dr. Shwaibo Shehu Aliu, a senior research fellow at Amadubello University, uh, explains. Queen Amina has contributed significantly in the development of the political history, on the social history, on the economic history of the Zaza Emirate. Indeed, she was more accredited with the expansion of the then kingdom of Zazo. She was also accredited with the building of so many walls in the, in Kasina, in Kebi, in so many other areas. And that's why some historians are saying no, the history of Queen Amina is not a myth, it's a reality. But others are saying no. The issue of Queen Amina has been overblown by some certain uh, section of the uh, ruling class in the Emirate. Uh, but the predominantly, if you look at go to Turunku, which is the seat of power of Queen Amina, up to now, the first person that drew the attention of the historian on the history of uh, Queen Amina was Sultan Mohammed Bello, the son of Sheikh Usman bin Fodio. He was the first that captured the history of uh, Queen Amina in his primary books in Parker and Mysore. Mm -hmm. And he stated that we were told there was a famous queen in the kingdom of Zazo who reigned in the 16th century. From that, people started pick up. They started making investigation, making research to uncover the major contribution in which Queen Amina has made in the history of Zazo Emirate. So these emirates still exist within Nigerian society today. And Queen Amina is remembered in monuments in Nigeria, as well as on various local and international film and television. One part that I've somehow always missed out or wanted to really know is what exactly happened to her? Well, that's a really good question, Ayla, because the exact circumstances of Amina's death are not entirely known. But it's said that she died in the early 1600s. Of course, it's told that it was during a battle on the front of Atagara, a place in modern-day Kogi state in north-central Nigeria. She lived by the sword and, I guess, also died by the sword. Absolutely. Um, quite an active life she lived. Queen Amina of Zazo, surely a legend, if ever there was one. And for northern Nigerians, certainly considered a nation-builder. Mm-hmm. If a little on the violent side. <laughs> Although, you know... Um, I wonder if this would be a factor if she were a man. You know what I mean? Possibly we would just be thinking of him as some great conqueror. Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, you know, there are even people named after that. For example, William the Conqueror, Ivan the Terrible. And these characters, of course, you know, the violence that they brought upon other people was actually seen as a positive thing. And I think you're totally right about that. 
When we come back, we will meet a heroine who was forced into a desperate choice. DW African Roots. Find new African Roots episodes on dw.com slash African Roots, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. So, Leila, you mentioned a desperate choice. What choice are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we are staying in West Africa and we are talking about the mother of a nation. Um, while Queen Amina of Zaza uh, conquered her way to glory, I want to tell you about Queen Abla Poku, who is a little different, I would say, from Amina. Okay, so in what way? In many fundamental ways, Kai, but I would say that she also has... Um, a firm claim, let's say, to being known as the mother of a nation, and you're going to hear why just now. Let me start with a little bit of background. Abla Poku was born a princess at the beginning of the 18th century, also into a royal family, I must add. Um, she was the niece of King Osei Tutu, the founder of the Ashanti Empire in modern-day Ghana. But when the king died, his nephew Apokuware took over, and this led to infighting because Ware's succession was challenged. Dakon, Ablapaku's second brother, was killed. And from that moment on, Ablapaku felt under threat. So, threatened how? Like, what happened? So, she went into exile, but gathered her court and followers, and Dakon's loyalists as well. They fled the Ashanti kingdom. Kwame Renealu, a history professor at the Université Felix, who fouette Boini, describes the tough, tense climate that Queen Poku faced. Disons, c'est elle qui était à la tête de tous ceux qui n'ont pas accepté que la succession... She was at the head of all the people who did not accept that Osei Tutu, the first king of the Ashantis, was succeeded by Opoku Ware, his nephew. And she was the one to lead all those dissidents who did not accept that the choice of Opoku Ware. It was her, a woman, who was the leader of that group. Mais c'est elle, une dame, Abla Poku and her followers headed northwest towards present-day Ivory Coast. Now, Kai, bear with me because from now on, things are about to get a little less concrete. Like less concrete like Amina of Zazu or what? <laughs> well, according to legend, um, once they reached the Como River, which is a natural border between present-day Ghana and Ivory Coast... They found the river at its highest level because of constant rains. So basically it was impassable. Oh dear. So now what? Mm-hmm. Well, the priest in the entourage communed with the river gods and said the river gods demanded a child uh, be sacrificed to let Ablapaku and her people cross. The story goes that the queen turned to her people and asked if anyone was ready to sacrifice their child. But... As expected, or as one can expect, um, she was met with a deafening silence. Yeah, um, I find that unsurprising as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, to save her people, Queen Ablapaku threw her child into the river. The waters subsided, according to legend, and her people could cross. Um, there are different versions, by the way, of how they crossed the Como River, including one that says large hippos lined up like a bridge so that they could walk over them to the other side. <laughs> After the crossing, though, Ablapaku was in tears, as you can imagine. She yelled to her people, Bawuli, which means the child is dead. And it's said that this sentence is the origin of the name for the Bawule people. 
Today, this royal infanticide is debated by historians such as Professor Kwame Renealu. La reine Abla Poku n'a sans doute pas sacrifié un enfant. Parce que les sources. Queen Abla Poku probably did not sacrifice a child. They say that at certain moments of the year, at this spot, the level of the Komoi River is so low you can ford thanks to the rocks that show on the surface. I'm more for that. As much as I value heroic acts, but sacrificing one's child, Layla, that sounds like an incredibly hard thing to do. Absolutely. Um, and I think you'll be hard-pressed to find a story about any historical or mythical figure who hasn't had to make a terrible choice. Um, in fact, stories of infanticide aren't that unheard of across religions and geographical regions. It's a dark topic, Kai, but infanticide is a part of our collective history. And Queen Ablapoku is still celebrated, both in oral and written literature, um, both across Ghana and Ivory Coast. However, though, it is hard to find representations of her. Unlike with Amina, I guess, no? Exactly. There's no monument nor museum in her memory, um, apart from a metal statue on the Republic Square in Abidjan. So for the people in the modern Ivorian state today, the story of Queen Ablapaku is still relatively unknown, or at least hidden. However, for the Baule people, she remains well-respected and an inspiration. Today, Ablapoku embodies a fascinating and controversial story, I would say. And I guess with both the legends of Amina of Zazao and Queen Ablapoku, these are both very controversial stories, you know, if in fact they did happen. Of course, we must keep in mind that myths around them have been told and that they are partly responsible for, you know, preserving their memory. Like the story you told about Queen Ablapoku, would she still be as renowned as she is today if, you know, this horrible story or this horrible uh, situation she faced was not told. But at the end of the day, I guess we can, all, we can also see how they have become nation builders. Absolutely. I, w I would say that as well. Definitely both nation builders. The story of Queen Ablapoku does remind me of a biblical sacrifice. <laughs> Spot on. Um, or a biblical river crossing. <laughs> That's where we will have to leave things for today. African Roots is a cooperation between DW and the Gerda Henkel Foundation. Thanks to Comic Republic in Nigeria for the artwork and special thanks to our producers Philip Zantner and our voiceover artists. Contributions by Julian Adai and Pinado Waba. I'm Kai Nebe. And I'm Leila Johnson-Salami. Bye for now. Bye for now.